0: You're listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church, recorded at one of our worship services. Hi, good morning everyone. Uh, my name is Timothy and I'll be reading from Colossians chapter 2, verse 6-15. to 15. Verse 6 Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. These are the true words of the living God. There we go. Good morning, everybody. Thank
1: you so much, Tim, for uh, making your scripture reading debut. We uh, really appreciate that. Well, we are continuing in our series titled The Gospel Made Visible, The Gospel Made visible. And uh, as the name suggests, we are looking at various topics where the gospel is made visible. And last week we looked at how the church makes the gospel visible. Today we're looking at how baptism makes the church visible. Uh, Baptism is not a controversial topic at all. you're welcome to laugh. Uh, if you are new to Christianity, uh, that's an in house joke because over the centuries, many people have thought long and hard and disagreed about uh, what baptism is. So uh, I'm going to give you our thoughts from Redemption Hill Church this morning on it. I'm going to make two quick points. Well, actually, they're not quick. I'll take that back publicly. I'm going to make two points today. The first is uh, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? If the gospel is made visible by baptism, we've got to start logically by understanding, well, what is this gospel? And then the second point, as you may have guessed is well, how does baptism make the gospel visible? What is the gospel, number one? And then number two, how does baptism make this gospel visible? So uh, that is where we are going today. But uh, before we get there, I just want to give us a paradigm or something that's very close to my heart. This is uh, Actually, a very uh, sore point for me, so uh, I'm uh, being vulnerable uh, telling you all. And uh, this is, uh, how to say it, my great love-hate relationship that I have with IT. Uh, we, we both seem to hate each other. Uh, there's not that much love in, in the relationship. IT seems to confuse me and uh, endlessly trip me up. So here we go. Here's an IT uh, paradigm coming up. Now, imagine you get a new laptop. And imagine this laptop is loaded with an operating system, which they got off Bill Gates' desk in the 90s. Remember, Bill Gates uh, always used to appear on TV in the same sweater and the same kind of shades. Imagine your laptop is running on this ancient, ancient, ancient operating system. The software that's running its it kind of works, but it just seems to glitch all the time. So you have some success, but then the internet doesn't connect, and then the camera doesn't work, and then this doesn't happen, and you click here, and it doesn't work. And, but you persevere and, uh, with more failure than success, and you keep going, but you just dread the day when you have to give a presentation at work, and is the software going to show up for that day? I have this kind of experience all the time, okay? Okay. But then you go to a friend who's an expert. Now, with me, every friend is an expert because I'm at the absolute rock bottom of IT knowledge. And uh, this friend who knows what they're doing with uh, computers loads, let's just assume, the most up-to-date current software. And then the machine starts humming. By the way, Steve, great to see you, man. Welcome back. He's just had a baby, he and his wife. Back to the software update. So now your machine... (laughs) Is, uh, is humming. So you can choose. You can run your computer on old operating system, or you can run it on the new operating system. Well, this is something of a paradigm for this passage. Because people are operating on two different sets of operating systems. The old bad one, and the new updated version, which actually works. And this is what Paul is getting at in this passage. People are trying to solve, just to try and keep it simple, two fundamental questions. How do I get love and how do I get respect? How do I get love and how do I get respect? You can choose an operating system to get you those two things. The old bad operating system, which really kind of works sometimes but glitches more often than not, is a system where you try and get respect through being successful And to be successful, you've got to have some kind of competence. And if you can be competent, you can be successful, and that's how you'll get respect from either God or significant other people in your life. What about love? How do you get love from God or significant people in your world? Well, if you're using the old glitchy operating system, you will get it by trying to be a good person, because good people are worthy of being loved. And so you double down with human effort and strength to be good, to be moral, to live a good life, so that you'll be worthy of love, and you'll somehow attract the love of God and significant people around you. The problem with the glitchy system is you just keep trying, and the harder you try, the more you mess it up. And then the more you sin, and the more you hurt people, and the more you hurt God, and your operating system just keeps glitching, and you just try harder and harder and harder. And the old operating system is, puts all the emphasis on you and your strength And your flesh and your ability to earn love and to earn respect. Okay, that's the old operating system. The new operating system is found in Jesus Christ. The new operating system is if you can find yourself in Christ. If you can find yourself in Christ, then you have the love of God in Jesus. Then you have the respect that the Father has for the Son in Jesus. And if you are in Jesus, you too can enjoy the love and the respect of the Father. It doesn't depend on you trying. It doesn't depend on how good you are. It doesn't depend on how competent or how successful you are. You can just be you. You are full of sin. We know that. But in Christ, you can have your sin forgiven, and you can stand in Him, and you can receive with this new operating system, the love and the respect and the enjoyment and the grace of God the Father to you. So two operating systems in view. What you need to do with the old operating system is a painful, violent death. Put that thing in the garbage bin. And what you need to do is receive the new operating system, which is in Christ, where you stand on Him and His work, and you receive the love and the respect from the Father in Christ, having had Jesus forgive you of your sins. So that's something of a high-level summary of this passage. So read with me in verse 6 and verse 7. Paul writes and he starts like this. He says, Therefore, as you receive, past tense, Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Two of the most important words in the Bible are in him, in Christ. In this passage, the phrase in him or with him, which is sort of the same idea, in him or with him, appears nine times. So it's a huge emphasis in the passage. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. In other words, you received Him by being in Him. Now that you're in Him, walk in Him. Verse 7, rooted and built up, wait for it, in Him and established in the faith. So Paul is saying, you came to Christ by repenting. He included you into Him. Now that you are in Him, you are rooted in Him. You are being built up in Him, so now walk in Him. That's your operating system. Don't go for the old glitchy one. That's gonna, it's all your effort and all your own merit and, and your sin is going to trip you up. This new one is be in Him, remain in Him, walk in Him, carry on in Him. So I want to give you a visual picture. Okay, This is just the way my mind works, so this is a metaphor. Hopefully it works for you. This is the way I understand it. We'll have a picture in my mind with my imagination of what it's like to be in Him. You remember Leonardo da Vinci's famous sketch of the man who was like this? Right. So if you didn't catch that, uh, he drew a picture of a man with uh, his arms and his legs at right angles and then in a circle. And then there was a square within the circle. And then he was, had his legs splayed and his arms splayed as well. And it was this picture of a perfect man. You, you, you all, it's a famous picture. You all kind of know what I'm talking about. Just imagine that's Christ. And imagine Christ is encompassed by this spherical bubble. And Christ is in the sphere. And everything that is Christ is in the sphere, the perfect man, the perfect proportions. And the invitation of Christianity is that you can step into this bubble. You can step into Christ. You can be in Him. You're invited. You're welcome. He wants to forgive you of all your junk and your nonsense, your old operating system. And He wants to receive you into Him where you can be rooted, established, grounded in Him, so that now you can live a life where you walk in Him, in this bubble. That's Christianity. You are in Christ. And everything that's in the bubble is God's, in Christ, and becomes yours. That's where you want to live and be. Not living and operating under the old, outside the bubble with your own effort and strength, trying to get love and respect. Then he carries on in verse 8, and he says, see to it and no one takes you captive by four things: philosophy, empty deceit, human traditions, and the elemental spirits of the world. That's talking about the old operating system. Because what's happening here in Colossia, this this place, the letter to the, this letter is being written to the folks, the church there, is that some false teachers got into the church, and what they were saying was, hey. Get rid of the new operating system and go back to the old operating system. And he has some tips on how to get love and respect. And they were sharing with them the philosophy of the age, the philosophy of the world. They were sharing with them empty deceits, lies the world gives you as to how to get love and how to get respect. They were sharing human traditions, you know, things that you do just because your parents did them or the people around you are doing, or societal norms, which you just unquestioningly follow. This is all the old operating system. And he's saying, no, be in the new operating system. Get rid, in verse 8, of all the old things. And and actually, there's some dark forces at work. There are these spirits, these forces guiding society into the wrong direction. You're going to glitch if you keep running in that. Get out of that. Get back into Christ, as it were. And then he goes on and he says what it's like to be in Christ, what it's like to be in the spherical construct called Christ, to be in His body, to be in Him. He describes in verse 9 and 10, in some of the most beautiful, powerful words you can read in the entire New Testament. You can meditate on this for the rest of your days. Verse 9, For in Him, also, sorry, For in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. In other words, you can take the infinite God and put him into the spherical bubble, the body of Christ, all the fullness of God is in Christ. In other words, Christ, who is human, came with the human nature, is entirely God, every inch God. But not only that, all the riches, the treasures of God. Have been put into Christ. In Christ, the fullness of the deity is now existing and living. You wanna be in that bubble. You wanna be receiving the fullness of God in Jesus. And in verse 10, he carries on and he says, And you have been filled, what are the next words? In Him. So when you're in Christ, the fullness of God is in Christ. And when you're in the bubble, The fullness of God then fills you. Wow. That's what it means to be a Christian, and that's your operating system, and that's the full love and respect and grace and favor of God to you in Jesus, and it's in Jesus. It's in Jesus is the point that he's getting at, and in case you missed it, at the end of verse 10, he says, Jesus is the head of all rule and authority, What else is in Jesus? Well, well done for asking, because he's about to tell us in verse 11 to 12. He says, in him, remember, I don't know how many times he said in him, but he's telling us what's in him. He's telling us what is in Christ, all these wonderful riches, all these treasures being rooted, grounded, established, the new operating system, and then he carries on, and he says, in Christ also you were circumcised with a circumcision made. Without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so, what he's getting at here is a metaphor with circumcision from the Old Testament. And let's just understand circumcision to be this this morning. A painful, violent removal of the flesh. A painful, violent removal of the flesh. How do you get rid of the old operating system? I began off by saying. And my advice to you, IT advice coming free from the past this morning, was to get rid of that old operating system with a painful, violent deletion of that whole operating system. And to get a new operating system in Christ. He's using this as a metaphor, saying that old way of thinking to get love and respect, get rid of it, cut it off, kill it painfully and violently. Do away with the old operating system and locate yourself in Christ. Locate yourself in the new. But to get there, you're going to have to have a painful, violent removal of your flesh, and your flesh stands for your strength, your ability to be good and to be successful. That is not going to work. Get rid of that and find new life in Christ. That's the big point. We'll get to the words in baptism in point number two, but just if you find yourself in verse 12, he goes on to say, having been buried with him, in which you were also raised with him, through faith. So he's explaining what it is to be a Christian. He's still telling us what is in Christ. He's still telling us what is in the spherical idea, the body of Jesus, the person of Jesus and whom is the fullness of the deity. And one of the things we find inside of Jesus is a funeral. He says, because in him, you were buried with him. Inside this bubble of Jesus is a funeral, is a death, is a coffin, is a tomb. And you can bring your old operating system to Christ, and you can have it killed with Jesus when he was killed. You can bring your old self into Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, and to have it killed there, to have it circumcised, to have it cut away, to have that old operating system gotten rid of. He says... If you are in Jesus, in Jesus is a burial. You can bury the old self in Jesus. And just as there's a burial or a funeral in Jesus, there's also a resurrection in Jesus. And if you're in the body of Jesus in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, that body was made to come alive. Jesus walked out the tomb. If you're in Jesus, you too can walk out the tomb. You can be in the new operating system. You can be in Christ, who is the fullness of the deity, but it's all inside him. It's all inside him. And this, friends, is the gospel. This is what he is getting at. You have this old person trying to make life work, not doing a good job, glitching. You need to come to the end of yourself. You need to repent. There's got to be some death so that you can find yourself in Christ, in all of His work, on the cross, in the tomb, and then resurrected in the body. And if you find yourself in the body, you have your sins, your sins, nailed to the cross. And you have your resurrection, and the resurrection of Jesus as He walks out the tomb. It's all in Him. And then He sort of wraps it up in a big summary point in uh, verse 13. And He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, so you were dead in your trespasses, you were dead before you died, And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. And so to quickly summarize uh, verse 13 and 14, I thought I'd do it in a fictional way, by reading out an autopsy report uh, of my own death. Uh, it's a coroner's report, and this is just a, my summary of verse uh, 13 and 14, and it reads like this, coroner's report dated 17 December 1992. This was the strangest autopsy I've ever conducted. First, curiously, the corpse was dead before it died. For a period of time before deceasing, the deceased was dead, but still living. The deceased has been, and I quote, dead in its transgressions, end of quote, for some 16 years a lot like a zombie, dead but alive. However, notwithstanding this, the deceased finally died on 16th of December, 1992. The final cause of death recorded is, and I quote, circumcision made without hands, end quote. This circumcision seems to have really finished the deceased off. To my amazement, as I conducted the autopsy on the corpse of the deceased, at about 11.31 p.m., the deceased came back to life and was, and I quote, made alive, end of quote. What I mean is that the corpse of the old deceased remained on the autopsy table. At the same time, the deceased came out of his old corpse, but inside a new body and stood next to me. We both stared at the corpse of the deceased. There was no question it was the deceased standing next to me. He also appeared to be glowing in luminous light. The deceased instructed me to complete the autopsy on his old corpse, saying that the record would later... Be important. I also conducted an examination on the alive body, concluding that the corpse and the live body are in fact the same person. Continuing my autopsy, I ascertained that the deceased had been executed for a capital offense. I recorded that the deceased's crime was paid in full, for the deceased had been put to death and in fact had died. The deceased is thus, quote, forgiven, end quote for all his crimes. I attached to this report the written, quote, record of debt, end quote, which consists of the entire charge sheet for every sin the deceased committed. You can find this at Appendix A, which runs to about 10,000 pages, (laughs) as well as the writ of judgment and execution at Appendix B. Certifying the death of the deceased, I hereby, and I quote, cancel this record of debt that stood against the deceased with its legal demands, end quote. I noticed that this record of debt had also been nailed to the gallows that the deceased had been hanged upon. I thus certify certify under my hand that the deceased was both deceased but is currently alive. That's a summary of 13 and 14. (laughs) Point two is, how does baptism make all of this visible? Well, there are two important facts about Jesus, the gospel facts. Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ was resurrected. If you are in him, there are two important facts about you. Number one, you have died. Your old operating system is put to death through forgiveness, through the circumcision, through Jesus cutting that thing away painfully and violently, getting rid of the old person, and then giving you a new operating system one based on the grace and the love and the respect of Almighty God. And the second gospel fact is that Christ was resurrected. He was made alive. Although He was put to death for sins, He was made alive forevermore for His righteousness. And if you are in Christ, you too have suffered a death of sorts, but you've also been made to come alive, and you will never die. And baptism is the sacrament or the Christian act or the Christian practice where we demonstrate these things. Because just to reread the crucial verse, which is in verse 12, it says, "...having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised, in baptism in which you were also raised, with Him, through faith, in the powerful working of God." And so... When you undergo baptism, what you are doing is you are symbolizing the utter death and destruction of the old operating system. You are burying that. You are drowning it. You are drowning it in water. You are symbolizing that you've already put the old operating system, the way of obtaining love and forgiveness, all on your own strength. You are killing that, saying, I don't want to live like that anymore. I want that to become a corpse. And then in baptism, you rise from the grave. You rise from the burial in Him. Just as He died and came alive, so you died to the old operating system, and you come alive. You are resurrected with a new way of thinking, a new way of going about life, a new operating system. You come alive in His righteousness, and His love, and His grace. That's what Jesus has done to you. And He's asked His church to demonstrate these things with the waters of baptism by putting the old self to death, declaring it, indicating it. And when you do baptism, what you're doing is you're connecting yourself to these huge ideas. It's already happened to you. It's already happened to you. That's why you do it after the fact of being in Christ. You then demonstrate it to the world at large. Just like Christ, verse 15, was put to death publicly. So there's this publicity element to baptism as well. You're connecting with these deep themes of being unified with Christ, of being in Him, of being connected to Him. And you're demonstrating and communicating. You're connecting yourself to these deep realities of death, to the things that don't work, and then resurrection and Christ in Him who really does work. Who really does save you, who really does love you, who really does hold you, in whom you can walk, as it says. So that's the first point. How does the gospel make, sorry, how does baptism make the gospel visible? It makes it visible by people observing you, connecting to these deep truths, by reenacting what's already happened to you spiritually. As you bury the old man or the old person, And rise again with the new person, with the new operating system. That's the first answer. The second answer is you are declaring what Jesus has done. First level, you are connecting yourself to these things. The second level is you are declaring and demonstrating what Jesus has done. Who was first in the tomb? Who was first buried? It was Jesus. And as it were, you're reenacting Christ, dying, and then when you come up out of the water, You're demonstrating Christ resurrected, Christ made alive, Christ in full power. That's how we make the gospel visible, through this gift of baptism which is given to the church. Okay, those are the two major points. I wanted to just wrap it up with uh, some application points. So what do we do with all of this, with uh, all of this big truth, these big ideas? Well, I think... The most obvious point is that if you are in Christ and you haven't yet been baptized, then I think it flows as a matter of course that this is something which is really being required of you or expected of you. I say that with no manipulation, with complete gentleness. I'm just My job is just to tell you what's in the passage. It's your job to apply it with the Holy Spirit. If you need to talk about it, I know these are not straightforward things. I know these are not easy things to understand. I know there's... Lots of different ideas about it. We would love to talk with you. There's no rush. No one is being pressured or manipulated. We don't have any KPI at ECP as to how many people got baptized. We just want to be faithful to what we see and then put the ball in your, your court. So I gently am putting it to you that if you identify with these deep truths of putting the old operating system to death... And latching on to Christ, being in Him and coming alive, being resurrected, and you haven't yet demonstrated this uh, as required by the Bible with water, then uh, that's something you should really think about. But maybe a step before that, maybe you're uh, not even in Christ, then baptism is not for you. Okay, just to be clear about this, you don't baptize your way into Jesus. In Him is baptism, and that's very clear from the text. In Him is baptism. So baptism is something that happens to Christians. But you might not yet be in Christ. You can wet yourself all you want. That's not the way you get into Jesus. The way you get into Christ, the way you find yourself in Him, is through repentance, turning from your sin, which you've committed against God, And through faith that Jesus Christ wants to save you and love you and forgive you all your trespasses. That's how you get into Christ. And He will draw you in and He will help you to do that. If that's you, then what I want to say to you is don't listen to anything I've said about baptism. You focus on Jesus and being in Him. And being in Him. Baptism, we can deal with that one after that. Okay, that's my first and second application points. The third application point is I want to refer you back to where we began in verse 6 and 7. Therefore, as you receive Jesus Christ, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith. If you've been baptized as a Christian, you really have said no publicly to that old way of thinking and working. So walk in Him. Walk in the grace that is found in Him. Walk in the truth that is in Him. Walk in His love. Walk in these deep riches that are in Him. You are demonstrating your baptism as it were. You are living out the principles of your baptism. Don't live in contradiction to these deep truths of baptism as you live from here. Be rooted in Him. The first step when you have a problem is always to sink yourself deeper into the love of Jesus. Be rooted in Him. Be built up in Him. Be established in Him. These are all the words that are used. And with that, walk in Him. Walk in Him. Don't leave that sphere. Remain there where He's full of charity and grace and mercy towards you. And then the third thing is verse 8. So there's some things you must do. You must sink yourself into Christ and walk in Him. Live out the principles of your baptism. But then in verse 8, there's some things you mustn't do. So don't do this, people. Don't be captive. So many people are ensnared by so many things. So many Christians are not free. They're walking around being captive to four things. Philosophy of the world. Empty deceits, which the world is offering them. Human traditions, which other people are offering them. And some way they're being captive to elemental spirits, some dark spiritual forces which are flowing in society. And if you, if you are trusting those things as your operating system, you have gone against everything in your baptism. I'm talking to baptized Christians. You are running counter to what you have publicly declared, that you're going to say no to all that stuff. And you're going to reach yourself in Christ rather. Okay. So those are uh, 30 minutes on the, on the dot. I think we can leave it there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for these deep truths of uh, your death, your resurrection. Thank you, Lord, for this great privilege of baptism, this gift you've given to your church. That we can connect to you in a real way, that we can demonstrate these truths, We can reenact also, to some extent, what um, you went through, your death and your resurrection. Lord, there's so much mystery, there's so much power in this. We don't understand it fully. So, Lord, would you help us? Would you help my friends here who are not yet baptized and are considering it? Would it be you, Lord, who is the one who speaks to them gently with your voice? Lord, for those baptized, I pray that we would have renewed confidence. We'd have a renewed sense of uh, your favor to us, your faithfulness to us. And you would really help us to walk in you. What a delightful expression. That for the rest of our days, we can walk in you. Walk in this new way of life, this new way of living. Under your grace, with your forgiveness, with the smile of your delight upon us. And so, Lord, Lord, for all of us in this room, my prayer is that we would truly find ourselves rooted in you, built up in you, established in you, and walking with you day after day after day, under your goodness, under your grace, under the warmth of your smile. In your name we pray.
0: You've been listening to a sermon podcast from Redemption Hill Church. You can find more of our sermons online at www.rhc.org.sg.